Welcome to the Nicholas Itali Show. Today on the podcast, guest Luke McGrath, personal finance connoisseur. He's got an MBA in finance from Fort Hayes State University, bachelor's in marketing from Vanguard University, amassed more than $250,000 in eight years after getting back from graduate school in China with less than $100. As a reminder, this is just knowledge. This is not investing in advice, so uh, invest at your own risk, but I'll tell you, it is great information. This week's riddle, what kind of food is nuts about money? Tune in to the end of the podcast and you'll get your answer. Don't forget to leave a five-star review for your chance to be the reviewer of the week. Show your support by snagging some merch from nicholasnatali.com forward slash shop. Get yourself a sweatshirt. Subscribe to youtube.com forward slash nicholasnatali. There'll be new videos every Monday. As always, I'm the intern. You're the listener. This is Nick. Hello and welcome. This is the Nicholas Natali Show. I'm your host, Nicholas Natali. Today we have a very special guest, Luke McGrath. Luke, season greetings. Hey, nice, nice to be here. Hi, I'm happy you're here. We're talking about personal finance today, and I'm going to dive right in. Luke, who first got you introduced into being financially wise? Wow. Um, or like, where did that knowledge come from, maybe? Yeah. Um, so I definitely think my parents had a, a, a role to play in that. I remember uh, as a kid, we had like allowances or like, but there were chores associated with it. So if I did my chores, I would get an allowance. And so as a kid, it wasn't a lot of money, but even still, it was like, here's five bucks for taking the trash out this week. And so yeah. after a couple of weeks, like you got 20, 30 bucks and you can try to do something with it. But my parents were really good and they like the 10, 10, 80 rule of just like save 10, spend 80 and mm. then like give 10 away. Like yeah. just the charity aspect of that. So um, I think that's kind of where it came from. And then when I was in college, I just like was in, college and getting my marketing degree from a private university and realized like I was gonna have debt when I graduated yeah and so lots of it uh, yeah more <laughs> than more than I realized and or knew what to do about it and so um, I got turned on to Dave Ramsey and got some like solid advice there and just kind of grown into my own financial stuff from there financial wisdom when you Knowledge. were yeah when you were a kid and you got that money did you have any natural tendencies? With oh, it? I was for sure a saver. Really? Sure. Like I, I would hold on to like, I would hold on to my money for a long time before I spent it. Yeah. So. Me too. I don't remember it, but my mom says like whenever I, like even the fake money that they give you at school, like the, you know when you had like the book fair come along, mm -hmm. I would earn points by reading books all year, and then when the fair came to spend it, I'd be like, I think I'm just gonna save, <laughs> like this this fake money. So I definitely had some. I, my, so my dad was my sixth grade teacher mm. and there was a money system in his class. And so nice. I just saved all the money all year. And then at the end yeah. of the, at the end of the semester and at the end of the year, like he has auctions and sells like candy bars and video games and just a whole bunch of random assortment of stuff. And so at the end of the year, I was like, I had so much two money. or three times <laughs> what everyone else had. Yeah. Cause just cause I hadn't spent anything throughout the whole year. Yeah. And so. I pretty much cleaned up on the rest of, my, <laughs> rest of my classmates. <laughs> That's pretty rewarding, though, yeah. even at a young age. Just, yeah. Just not spending to get more of what you want, mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. Yeah. And it also sounds like your parents had a good relationship with money. Yeah, I think my parents do have a good relationship with money. and just, uh, just they do a good job of saving and planning and being wise with how they spend their money, for sure. Yeah. I think for my parents, there was, I had two... I don't know about extremes, but, like, two very different ends. Like, my mom, or my dad was maybe too frugal. Like, didn't spend where mm -hmm. it was necessary to spend. And I think my mom compensated for that with having to put it on a credit card or something like that. So I got to see almost, like, the negatives of, like, both ends of the... Of the, the spectrum. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping I'm finding the... Did you find one more appealing to you? Ooh... Um, I think I found some, some nuances in both. Like even, okay. So even as a kid, if I had a little bit of money, my conscience, conscience, mm -hmm. my conscience was very strong about wanting to do the right thing with the money. Mm -hmm. So like, I can remember vividly going into a Chevron to get a Gatorade before a baseball game. And the guy saying, Hey, do you want to donate like a, a dollar to the kids, whatever? And I'd be like, I only have 50 cents. Oh my gosh. Like, and I'd have to give them the only 50 cents, but I'd be stressing that I couldn't give more. more. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, I don't know. I think I, I saw pros in both that my mom could get us what we needed, but my dad 
couldn't get us what we needed, not due to lack of resources. Mm. So I don't know. Yeah, a frugality for sure. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So let's say you know you got your debt in college. Mm-hmm. What What are you feeling like? So when I graduated from college, uh, I had a degree in marketing, and like, yeah, I just felt this weight, and like I recognized like the time I graduated, the time I had to pay it, I had like six months, and so in that six months, like I found a job, like mm-hmm. minimum wage job, and worked for a year, and in the first six months, I think I saved like I saved as much as I could, yeah, and was able to pay off about I mean. I had debt. I had about eleven thousand dollars, which is, yeah. in your twenty-two and haven't had a real job. Like, it seems like a lot. Yeah. Um, I recognize like that's small in comparison to what a lot of people have, um, and so I paid that off. I paid half of it off at Christmas. Yeah. Um, that first year, and then within the next six months, had the rest of it paid off. So, wow, I, good for you with the minimum wage job. Yeah, I, that's crazy. Yeah, I did. Uh, I mean, my housing situation. I was like a hundred bucks a month. And so Whoa. I was very fortunate in that regard. Yeah. So I just paid like the minimum, like paid for housing and where I stayed and then put the, as much in as, as I could towards the debt and paid that off as quickly as possible. What was your housing situation? You, you live on with a thousand dudes or? No, I lived with uh, four guys and uh, this house was in probate. Um, and so what does some, that mean? someone had passed away and it left it in a will and trust to the university I was going to. Oh my the gosh. executor was one of the professors that yeah. um, we knew and had yeah. had. And so he's like, just trying to find someone to live in the house that wasn't going to burn it down or yeah. have raging parties. And so that was you, me and my buddy, Travis, Richard yeah. and, and Danny. And the four of us lived there for, I think Travis lived there the longest for almost two and a half years. Um, wow. And so what I, a steal. Yeah. So it was, it was very, it was, it was very good for me and just helpful in my like savings and my, yeah. my financial progress i guess so you're 22 years old did anybody teach you how to budget what was your budgeting strategy at 22 uh there was like it was just like save as much money as possible yeah um my budgeting like i was probably i think looking back like i think i eliminated opportunities to have fun because i didn't think i could afford it and i think that's like maybe a a regret that i have like Mm. man if i could go back like i would have just you know spending 20 bucks to go to the movies and hang out with friends or grab dinner with people like that would have been so the emotional benefit I think would have outweighed the financial cost. Ooh. And so, and I think looking back, like those little things are things that I would, would change. Um, am I happy with where I am now? Like, yeah. And I'm fortunate that I've learned those lessons early. Yeah. So that way I don't have to repeat them. Yeah. Or like continue to be stuck in a rut. Yeah. Or something that I've just learned how to do learned behavior. So let's say now, what does balance look like? Because that's a that's a big part of like financial, whatever mm-hmm. is the discipline mm-hmm. to yeah so much say of, no. so much of like uh, financial wisdom and is is it's as I think it's more behavioral saying no to yourself and the things you want than it is financial or like yeah mathematical because we can all understand like mathematically like I have this much <laughs> yeah here's how my percentages lay out here's what goes for savings like should I put more in investing or should I pay off debt? Like those percentages, sometimes like I can get a 10% return on this investment and my payment is only 3%. Like what, what's the right thing to do? And so I think so much of that is behavioral. Um, Like you can figure out the math, but there's a risk assessment or like portion associated with that. Hit me with behaviors then. What are some, some (laughs) behaviors that probably have turned into habits at this point for you? Uh, Behaviors. Um, Behaviors. So, I don't eat out a lot, uh-huh. um, at least when I was like going through like getting debt free and yeah. is is doing everything I can to like not spend extra. And so one of those things was lunch. It's like, all right, Ooh. I can spend I can spend fifty dollars a week yeah. on lunch yeah. for like going out, or I can spend fifty bucks and have food mm-hmm. at every meal and then some things at dinner. Like that fifty duck fifty dollars would go a lot further yeah. Yeah. than eating out every every lunch for yeah. 10 bucks a meal yeah so that mm. that i think is a behavior that i've learned and just i've become more since becoming debt free and like moving into like financial independence and like working to grow my net worth like yeah i i don't really it's less of a concern like i'll i will eat out, eat out but not um, at the expense of my other financial goals mm-hmm. which is why i like use a budget and yeah look at where my money's going and balance like okay 
what percent is going where and is mm. this have i allocated too much money to this or have i spent too much money in this category mm. and how often are you doing that is this like a are you a monthly budgeter kind of guy or an every two weeks so i get paid bi-weekly nice um but i do a monthly budget oh and i'm also looking at my my so i use mint.com which yeah. is i i've really used it i've used it for 10 years really like it yeah um because it has an app too app yeah it has an app which yeah. is nice and so uh, it's just something I have used for the last 10 years, so it's something I'm comfortable with. There are yeah. plenty of other things out there yeah. that are good. But I've used that to help track my expenses. And so I may get paid twice a month, but I'm looking at my finances probably once a week, just pulling mm. it up on my computer or on my phone yeah. just to see, like, okay, this budget, have I overspent here? And, hey, did this get categorized to the right line item? Yeah. Like, where where is that going? Yeah. And so just going through my transactions and making sure that they're properly allocated to the right line item yeah. uh, makes a huge difference in feeling free to spend money in these categories because I've already allocated funds there yeah. to do things. So it's not, you're not stressing because it's already Correct. put toward that. <laughs> exactly. I heard, or I'm, I'm reading like a book about uh, habits and how when you track one habit, like particularly one habit and measure it out, you have like a far greater chance of success. Mm -hmm. So like becoming routine and checking it is probably helping you. Yeah. I, I, there's been times like I look at it and I'm like, oh man, I'm right at the end of my eating out budget. Yeah. Uh, looks like there's another week left of the month. Like I don't no worry now. No more eating out. I need to make sure I go to the grocery store. Yeah. Or it's like, I recognize like my grocery budget has a ton of extra money in it. Yeah. And so I can allocate some of those funds to this other Stuff line. Items, like, yeah. It's just making sure that I'm not overspending yeah. in those budget line items. Do you go based off a percentage um, for the most part? I mean, there's a percentage aspect to it. Yeah. Um, but there's also just like, I know that. I usually spend this much. Yeah, on. I know that like my budget for groceries every month is $300. Yeah. And so like that I can extrapolate out and like know like, okay, that's 75 bucks a week. Yeah. And I, I can work within that budget to make sure I'm eating enough and having extra um yeah. And like it's lasting longer than the week, and so mm. that's my kind of my gauge. I, I probably grocery shop once every two weeks. Dang, so that's good for you. I can I can stretch that a little bit. And big I, haul. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, so you wait. Okay, so you 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 got your bachelor's, eleven mm -hmm. k. Yep, knocked it out. Right. So I graduated from college in two thousand ten with eleven thousand dollars. Had it yeah. paid off by May of two thousand eleven. Good for you. Yeah. So. It felt really good. And then I started an MBA program um, at where I was a graduate assistant. So Ooh. I have my MBA, yeah. and I didn't have to take out loans for that. So I was paid, paid to be a graduate assistant. So pretty much I showed up to classes and yeah. helped the professor like organize small groups, like yeah. lead breakout sessions, all those things, and yeah. just like have some office hours. worked out really well because it allowed me to not have to pay for school and yeah. move up academically, which was great. And yeah. And I've really appreciated just that opportunity to like get an education pretty much for free. Yeah. At that point. Yeah. It sounds like you've you've hacked the system a little bit yeah, in a lot I, of ways. Yeah. <laughs> I leveraged that my I leveraged the experience and just found a program that was was right. Yeah. Okay. So, how did you go from I'm debt free with zero dollars to now I'm getting to a point of point of yeah. scalability? Maybe I don't yeah. know what the right word is, yeah. but like so. What do you mean My question is, you had $0 in your bank mm -hmm. account, debt-free. You hit ground zero. How do you go from zero to being at a point where, okay, now I'm not so stressed? stressed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think part of it is being on a budget, a monthly budget, really mm -hmm. helps because it allows me to know, like, here's where my money's going and here's what's left over. Yeah. And that leftover money is helpful because it's like, okay, like if the world falls apart, like I have this savings that I've been saving this extra couple hundred bucks or yeah. whatever it is every month. Um, to get there um, so that way I have like so that way I'm not dependent on um, that way when you have money nothing is really an emergency that's true yeah it's it's not as like urgent oh my gosh how am I I'm strapped for cash yeah. how do I get it? I'm how gonna I, sell my car I'm gonna sell my kidney yeah. yeah I'm gonna sell my kid yeah whatever it may be mm -hmm. do you are you under there's like I feel like a, a debate that may be going on for a long time of whether people should go to college in order to mm -hmm. to reach more financial it's like a it's like whatever that balancing yeah. scale is mm -hmm. do you think college is worth the risk of 
you know? Yeah. So that's a tough question. Cause I've definitely like, I look back and I'm like, did I get like, was my college experience worth the debt and, mm. or could I have just gone right into like the workforce yeah. and achieve this level of success that I've had? Yeah. Um, both career wise. Um, and I, it's hard to say, like, I think I work, I do project management and construction management and oversee yeah. construction stuff. And so, do I think that's something that can be learned, um, like on the job in the field? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. But I do think there is something. The jobs that I've had mm-hmm. is because I was able to achieve high level, like high education level. I right. think it just, I don't know if it changed how I performed in those jobs. I think that was my work ethic and some other items. But I think it definitely opened, um, opened doors for opportunity that I don't think I would have been able to like get my foot into Yeah. Um, otherwise. And you got a good network, I feel like. I feel like you're a well-networked guy because of yeah, some of this, the schooling uh, you've had. Maybe for sure. Like, I think, um, I mean, I, I lost my job in August from COVID. COVID, yeah. And it was, and now I work for one of my clients, mm-hmm. or one of the guys who used to work for me. Yeah. And so it's just interesting to see how, like, you do a good job, you work hard, mm-hmm. you pay attention to the details and little things. Like people are gonna notice your work ethic mm-hmm. and say, ah, oh, that's something that I want with my company. Yeah. Um, and so I feel very fortunate that I was able to like find a job so quickly after being let go yeah. from a job I really liked. Yeah. And so that was that was a nice um, icing on the cake in in that I got some time off as well as like had a job lined up pretty quickly short, shortly thereafter. Yeah, absolutely. And And with that being said, for me, something that always kept coming up when I was, like, straight out of high school was you get capped out if you don't have a degree. That's what I kept mm-hmm. hearing. And now most of the jobs that I had applied to and that I eventually got required mm-hmm. baseline bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. So I think it's I think college is worth it, mm-hmm. but I think there's ways, like yeah. you're saying, to... I, I know plenty of guys who make six figures and don't have college degrees. Yeah, that too. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably more... More how you do it, mm-hmm. because although my experience at Cal Baptist was worth it, mm-hmm. and I am appreciative for it, 60K in loans Dead. is yeah. a lot, and most people hold it over their head for their whole life, so yeah. I think... So, let's let's nip, flip the script. Flip the script. So, you had 60K in debt when you graduated from college. How did you pay that off? I lived in a car, and I went extreme, and I almost imagined it was similar to your situation of... You know, having low housing and then just everything you got mm-hmm. put straight into the loans. Yeah. But I think... Do do what you have to so later you can do what you want. Like, yeah. It's delaying gratification because yeah. if you just said, I want it now and I'm going to pay for it and I'll deal with the expenses later, like that cost up front, mm-hmm. like, yeah, it feel, feels good to like buy whatever that is and experience yeah. that thing. Short-lived. But, but it's short-lived and down the road you're like, man, I wish I had money to do something else. Yeah. And I feel like those short-term pleasures or those experiences don't like that delayed gratification is definitely it's there for a reason yeah and i think they say one of the biggest stressors is losing your job and having to find a new one Mm -hmm. and i feel like for you who's in a like financially good situation it was like i'm taking some time for myself yeah i mean i'd done a good job savings like i'm in the process of like applying for a mortgage like yeah what's that gonna look like down the road because i'd like to buy a house yeah but i can't do that if i don't have money and so I've been working really hard the last X years. Yeah. Five, eight years to like save as much as I can to get to this point where I can apply for a loan and get a, get a mortgage um, to buy something that like helps me grow my net worth again. So I think the thing that turns people off with like budgeting and stuff like that is the delayed gratification. So what, what would you say, like how long is the delayed gratification supposed to be part of the process? Um, so I think there's definitely delayed gratification while you're in debt. Like you yeah. need to delay as much gratification as humanly possible. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, like if you're married, like don't like sacrifice your marriage for getting it. If you're <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. single, like don't sacrifice like being in community. But yeah. obviously do everything you can and find people who are going to support your goal to get out of debt because yeah. it's super important. Once you're out of debt, like, and you have some money and you have some flexibility, it's okay to enjoy life a yeah. little bit more. Yeah. And and buy things that you can afford. Don't try to like, out like don't go on a vacation that comes home with you. Yeah. Where you spend more on vacation and now you're bringing that debt 
back to you, yeah. get back home with you from vacation. That doesn't make sense. Like, if you couldn't afford to go on vacation, save more until you can go. Are you a pay with cash kind of guy? I'm for sure a pay with cash kind of guy. Is that with everything? I mean, yeah, I, I don't have a credit card. And so, like, that's crazy. Yeah. I, credit, I, credit score zero? Is that what that actually, means? Actually, that my credit score is zero. Like, when I, <laughs> that's the crazy. The mortgage broker said, like, you don't have any debt. You don't have any, you have a zero credit score. Yeah. When they ran my credit because, like, I don't have a credit card yeah. and all my yeah. debt's paid off. Yeah. So it's just, it, it's sometimes a difficult thing when you're trying to, like, get a loan because yeah. it's like, who is need, this guy? Yeah, who is this guy? Like, how come he doesn't have debt? Or how come he doesn't have a, a FICO score? And yeah. I'm like, well, because I just have money. Yeah. And money takes the place of a FICO score. Like, yeah. I'd much rather have money than mm-hmm. be in this constant conversation with debt of like buying some, going into yeah. debt and paying it off so later I can go into more debt to, to, pay, buy, it to pay it off to go into even more debt. So yeah. I, I'm just, I am, I guess I'm weird like that. I don't like like owing people money if I can help it. Yeah. I'm with that too. I, I don't ever want to owe anybody money ever yeah. again. And I have a credit card, but mm-hmm. I don't, I use it as a debit card. Mm-hmm. Like if I don't have cash for it, I won't. Yeah. I won't buy it. And to, to what you're saying, I think, you know what a big misconception is that I think is about to get debunked is that people, yeah, that was weird. People <laughs> track their credit score, but they rarely track their net worth, mm-hmm. which I feel like is exactly what you're saying. Mm-hmm. If you got cash, yeah, I mean, track your cash. I, I know within a thousand dollars of what my net worth is. Yeah. Whereas like, people are tracking their FICO score. Like I, to me, net worth I feels more important yeah. than my FICO score. Yeah. I agree. Are you a bank, buy or rent kind of guy? Um, in like currently I rent and I, what's your hot take though? Uh, I would encourage people if they can buy a home, buy a home. Like mm. I think that's a, it's a great asset to have as homes continue to go up in value, especially in California mm-hmm. in the rest of the country as well. But for sure in California where we lived. So always appreciates. However, sometimes it's hard to break into that market because it's so high because the entry cost is really high. Yeah. Like you, you can put 3% down, mm-hmm. but you're paying PMI and just the, the payment is a lot higher. You can get to 20% like on a $500,000 home, which yeah. is like 450 to 500 is like the medium cost or the low entry cost yeah. for a home. Like you're still looking at 20% and there's like a hundred thousand dollars you have to have yeah. for 20% down straight which, up is a lot of money for a lot of people and it's a ton of money yeah so why why would you say to buy though what's the, what's um, the real benefit of buying rather than to um, continue so to rent? when you buy a home you're putting you're paying the mortgage yeah it's going to the bank you're, it's rent pretty yeah. much but it's going to you actually own that asset as opposed to when you pay rent it goes to someone else yeah. who's, whose asset that you're paying for yeah when you own the home that payment goes to the bank, but it's going into your, um, it goes into your asset column, mm-hmm. so your net worth can grow. Mm-hmm. And when you sell the home, they give you this thing called money. Yeah, they do, which and is you, nice. <laughs> yeah, which allows you to pay off the remainder of that balance. Yeah. Or right into your pocket if the home is paid off. Yeah. I almost think that if you could afford, this is now I'm brainstorming out loud yeah. here. So please, please me. fill me in. If you can afford the three and a half percent down and maybe like six months of that payment, mm-hmm. I think it could be worth it to buy it and house hack it. Yeah, for sure. If you can, if you could house hack it, like by all means, but sometimes that's harder to do. And it there's, is. there's a risk level associated with that. And if you're willing yeah. to take the risk, like if, you, yeah. if you're, if you're comfortable with that risk level, like by all means, and some people are, mm-hmm. some people aren't. And just yeah. knowing like what your temperament is and what you can handle yeah, is what you should do. So what are some, what are some, what are your go-to like, low-risk, conservative, investments to build wealth? Um, so, I have index funds and mutual funds both in a Roth IRA. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a four hundred one k and then a Roth four hundred one k. What? Uh, so, you have four hundred one k? Yeah. Through your work or through your. So my four, so my four hundred one k was from my my previous company. Uh-huh. When I was laid off, like uh-huh. I transferred that into something that I can now. Buy, control, and, control and like set it to the funds that I want yeah. them to be be invested in. Yeah. Now with my new job, I have a Roth four hundred one k. Wow. And so I've set those to be invested in things that I want. Yeah. There's less control with that, but um, they still offer plenty of um, a wide range of like funds that I can choose from index yeah. funds. So. And they match. Yeah, they match a percentage. Dope. 
a Roth 401k, is that is that the same as like a Roth IRA where you put six six grand a year? No. So a Roth or is eighteen a Roth 401k? All that means is that it's being like taxes are already taken out of it, so yeah. it's growing tax free. Got it. Wow, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's say brand new investor. I don't know a diddly squat about mutual funds or index mm-hmm. funds. Where do I start? How do I ground zero, baby? All right, so let's. Wow, that's a great. I know we've had some conversations just on like your personal yeah. investing. Yeah, I should I should totally mention that. Like Luke is where I've. You were my. My yeah. base, my foundation to, to get me off the ground. Yeah. Like, let's even take it a step further. When I was in 60K of debt and I found out how much it was, first person I called was Luke and I was like, can we make a budget? <laughs> and you literally like said, if you pay this much, you'll pay it off in two years or whatever it was. So that's how we did it. So anyway, there you go. There, There's me tooting your horn. Yeah. So let's start with the simple investment process is... Um, there's things called index funds and mutual funds. Mm-hmm. What those are are uh, an index fund is is a group of stocks that have been compiled from a lot of different companies yeah. put together so that way an investor can buy one one share of a mutual fund and has diversified the risk into all those different companies. Yeah. And those are companies, big companies and little companies. Yeah. Like there are things that have greater risk in them and some that have less risk and so mm-hmm. they're combined into um into sets and you can buy one that's um maybe has a potential for greater growth or one yeah. that is going to stay really consistent and have really steady growth yeah um the ones that have steady growth have a, have a lower risk mm-hmm. and the ones that are a little bit have more volatile yeah, a little more volatile have a greater risk of going down yeah. as as much as they do going up yeah and so you just have to leverage and figure out what your risk is mm-hmm. um I mean, I'm 33, so I, I'm, I'm a little bit. I mean, I'm very consistent and pretty. I feel people. Some people say my strategy is risky, but it's a strategy that I've had and I'm gonna stick with. It's oh really? Yeah. What? Yeah. Wait. Okay. So what's your what's your strategy? So like, if I wanted to get a get into the action yeah. of these index funds. Yeah. So I am invested in 25% of my portfolio is in large cap, mm-hmm. medium cap, mm-hmm. small cap, and international. Yeah. So those are, um, that's just how it's split. The large yeah. cap is, <coughs> um, I'm probably going to butcher it, and it may be the other way around, but international is companies that are based internationally. Yeah. Um, small cap are going to be a little bit more volatile. Um, so small have, guys. Yeah, there's companies in there, but they're smaller companies that have the risk of growing exponentially or or tanking. Or tanking. <laughs> exponentially. Um, exponentially. Um, and then mid-cap is like steady companies that yeah. are have growth. Yeah. Um, and then there's growth and in income. And so that would be the lo- growth and in income is large cap. And yeah. so those would stay pretty. Pretty low, consistent. Pretty consistent. For, for We're part. not looking for large gains. We're looking for them to stay consistently yeah. and grow at a, at a consistent level. Yeah. They're spread out over those 25% because – if one goes, let's say a small cap tanks, yeah, or the international Just, tank, like yeah. those mid and large cap will stay pretty steady and yeah. balance those. If a large cap goes down, it means that something in the international or small cap is doing growing, well. It could yeah. be growing, and so uh, they're all growing, but some of them have inverse relationships with each other mm. um, that are not in alignment. So that way, growth continues to happen regardless. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say? Do you, have you ever considered just pounding all of the money into the the big, like the S and P five hundred type index yeah, funds? If you are if you're new to this, the S and P five hundred is a great way to go because yeah. it takes the top five hundred companies in yeah. on the stock market and combines them into one fund. And so yeah. if one of them tanks, you're chilling. You're okay because four hundred ninety nine are okay. Yeah, it would take, and you have to think the companies that are in the S and P five hundred is Apple, Google, Amazon, Facebook. Yeah, Amazon, Tesla, probably not. Yeah, Microsoft, like Walmart, like yeah. all of these big, massive companies. And so, for that stock to tank, like the be hard. The our economy would have to just, like, none of those companies would be in business again. Yeah, and, or those companies would have to go out of business. And mm-hmm. I don't see that happening. Yeah, um, and so the S and P five hundred is a great way to initially get your feet wet in investing because it is um, pretty safe. But it's also like you can see how it's growing and how it works. Yeah, Um, it's also growing at a little bit better than the inflation rate, which is 
good if which you're is perfect. Trying. Yeah, which is great. Because inflation is like three percent. Mm. Yeah, two and a half, three percent, something like that. Depends depending on the year. So why shouldn't I just store my cash under my pillow? Why should why should I take it out of my savings account and put it in an index fund? Granted, um, I have let's say I have an emergency fund. Yeah, I've done I, my my. You, little so your debt's paid off, and you have an emergency fund. Yeah. And a mutual fund. The so mutual funds are growing at a greater rate than what's under your bed. Yeah. You don't get an. In, <laughs> there's no interest return on the money under your bed. And don't get me wrong. And I think it's good to have maybe some cash on hand under your bed. Yeah. But I also think it's probably wise to diversify some of that risk and that yeah. growth. Yeah. Because if it's all under your bed, it's not going to grow. Yeah. And you want to grow because at some point, at some point, like. I'd like to retire, and I don't want to have to worry about nothing, about money. Like, yeah. it'd be great to have money. Just like, yep, let's do that, and not have to think twice, and be a blessing to my children, my grandchildren mm-hmm. down the road. Yeah, yeah, I agree, man. Yeah, I've been seeing a lot of things saying just like, um, I don't know, like the importance of one getting your foot into index funds, mm-hmm. or, um, or actually, maybe let's go that let's go that direction. Why would you say go an index fund instead of saying? I'm gonna put all my money in Tesla. They're about to move to Texas. They're they're gonna volatility. Mm. Like yeah, you can do that, but stocks are risky. Yeah. And something that shoots up has the possibility to shoot down too. Yeah. And so, I don't like risk, and so I'm minimizing my risk by not buying individual stocks. Yeah. I'm not like there are plenty. I have friends that have individual stocks and have done well. Yeah. But it's not something I want to take the time to invest energy track into. every day yep, and exactly whereas investment or mutual funds and index funds are tried and true and like yeah we see consistent growth over time yeah so you're playing the long game yeah i am playing the long game for sure what does that mean to play the long game so like if i'm trying if i'm i'm convinced now i know index funds that's the move baby mm-hmm. i want to get my hands in that yeah does that just mean i throw like a thousand bucks and then i'm like all right yeah or so let's just take a Roth IRA. So I started a Roth IRA when I was 25. Yeah. And I've maxed it out every year. Nice. Okay. So it's grown consistently at that max at rate. Max rate. So yeah. so I'm so I've had it for 8 years and I've maxed it out every year. So roughly I've put roughly $50,000 into it, okay? Yeah. It has a current it's currently at like $85,000. Yeah. So it's grown and I've seen that growth. Yeah. And I've put 500 $500 in every month and so over time, that compounding interest gets to a point where it doubles, yeah. and the the interest payment, like I'm putting in five hundred dollars, mm-hmm. at some point, the interest payment on that every month will be greater than what I'm putting in, and that's yeah. where you see this compounding interest really take over. Yeah. Um, and so if you if you can do that, and do that for your career, yeah, you will be a multimillionaire. Yeah. Are you on track? I am. Do you, what number in your mind would you be like, all right, I'm quitting my job. I'm done. I'm so, done with all of it. Yeah, so that's a great question. I, I'm i a big fan of work, and, I, <laughs> and I'm going to work. Like, yeah. As much as like I would love to quit my job and yeah. not work, like, yeah. I get there's satisfaction for me that comes out of working hard and doing a good job. Yeah. Um, and interacting with people, because I think as soon as you stop working, like, what do you have to live for? Like, your yeah, bases. Yeah, exactly. So... At minimum, I'm going to work until I'm 59 and a half. Yeah. And at that point, 59 and a half is kind of the magic number that you can start withdrawing funds your from your Roth IRA yeah. and your investments without being taxed on it. Yeah. Or being taxed over and above mm, um, what it would be. What it would be. Yeah. So what's your what's your hot take for retirement? I'm trying to get, I'm convinced on the index funds, but I shouldn't. Should I put money in my index funds first or should I go for my retirement first? How should I, how should oh, okay. I plan so, about that? So let's, let's start. If you're yeah. going to invest, yeah. if your company has a matching 401k yeah. or a Roth 401k, yeah. do that first. Got because it. you get 100% return on that investment right away. So yeah. they give you money. My company has a 3%, 3 or 4%, I can't remember. But I put 4% in. Yeah. They're going to match 4%. Yeah. Automatically, that's 100% on my, on my money. Yeah. Which, boom is great yeah once you've reached that once you've capped at that four percent then i go back to my roth ira Mm -hmm. and make sure my roth ira personal my personal roth ira because i want that to grow tax-free yeah and i don't want to have to pay taxes on that money down the road because when i when i finally retire 
I can pull that money out without having to pay taxes on it because it's already been pre-taxed. Nice. Um, so 401k matching, Roth, and then I go back to my 401k. Yeah. Um, mostly because you want to, what we've seen is about 15% of Rate of, return? You, of your gross income oh, okay. should be put towards retirement every month, every year. Wow. In order to retire yeah. on time and with right. no no hassle, really. Exactly. 15%? That's, that's higher than I thought it was. Yeah. Interesting. And that's including everything going towards retirement. Dang. Fascinating. Yeah. So... If I put in 4%, yeah. my company puts in 4%. There's 8 Yeah. And then I put in... Oh, yeah. I guess that's a good point. I put in my Roth. That will move me up to 5 Depending on your income, yeah. if you make $100,000, that's 6%. Yeah. So there's 14%. So just put another couple percent back into your 401k. Yeah. And you can get to that 4% oh, okay. number. So it's not as bad as I'm... It's no. not as bad as I'm thinking it is. Yeah. And, and the thing is, like, it's less... Like, if you make $50,000, like... That six thousand dollars is twelve percent, yeah, of in your Roth. Yeah. So you put three percent into your, into your four hundred one k, and then yeah. six thousand dollars into your Roth. Like yeah. you're at that fifteen percent anyway. Yeah. It's it's quicker and easier than than it than I'm making it out to be, or than it has to be really to get to that fifteen yeah. percent. Yeah, and it, it it's the percentages also. Like mm. you're putting when you make more money, you're that percent that percentage is the same yeah but the quantity is greater yeah i agree and so over time. yeah if you're if you make a hundred thousand dollars you're putting in roughly 15k a year yeah but if you're making two hundred thousand dollars you're putting thirty thousand dollars in a year which it seems nice. like a lot more yeah but percentage wise it's the same right and if you make 50k like you put in 15 percent, that's only here we go seven thousand dollars yeah seventy five hundred dollars yeah. so it it's based on your income yeah. But if you can learn to live on your income by doing a budget and those other things, that seven per, that percentage um, over time yeah. is something you can learn to live on. Even if it's less money yeah. than someone who makes a lot more. If you know how to live on $50,000, putting 7500 into retirement, mm -hmm. when you finally retire, you'll have plenty of money, yeah. but you'll know how to live on that $50,000 income. Yeah. Ooh, so retirement when you get to that point isn't about having a huge quantity of money waiting for you to blow it's about having yeah. enough money that you can pull in increments correct and maintain your standard yeah, of living exactly and so the goal in retirement is to have a nest egg yeah um, like let's say you have um you've invested well and you have three million dollars yeah okay yeah now the return on that investment which you hope can be anywhere from eight to fifteen percent yeah. on a yearly basis. Yeah, some nice. people, that would be great. Yeah. In some years, you will see a greater return on that investment, and you'll see a smaller return on that investment. So, yeah. but let's just say, let's for easy math, let's do ten thousand. Yeah. Let's do ten percent on yeah. three million dollars. Yeah, that's three hundred thousand dollars a year. Yeah, that you could potentially live off of. Yeah, that sounds doable to me. I think a lot of people could live off three hundred thousand dollars a year. I agree. And just with compounding interest. From a mutual fund, if you're maxing out every year, yeah. from the time you're 25 to the time you can retire, that's 35 years. Yeah, you're looking at two to three million dollars, four million dollars, depending on um, what it's invested in. Yeah, and it's not unreasonable for any anybody with any sort of income to hit those numbers. Yeah, if you are diligent mm -hmm. in putting the money into the, yeah. the right spots. And and there are great websites that can help with this. Hit me. Um, I don't have any off the top of my head, but I, my, my master's is in finance. Right. And so I know how to build amortization tables and spreadsheets. And so I've built those for myself and can see like milestone dates and when I'm going to pass, like when my net worth is a million dollars, when my net worth is this Two, amount. Three. Yeah. W when that is. And with that compounding interest, it's later in life. Like, yes, I'll, you have to wait for it. Yeah. To compound. <laughs> exactly. But as you put more money into it, like it's going to compound faster. And yeah. as you are, um, that behavioral issue and the behavioral part of financing is as much behavioral as it is math. Yeah. Yes, we can see how the math works, but if you're not behaviorally, behaviorally being diligent with investing in yourself and investing in retirement, yeah. like it doesn't mean anything. So 
that's where the behavior aspect comes in and why it's important to not only make good math decisions, but also make good behavioral decisions. It's almost like setting up your budget should include your investments. Yeah. So, so my, my monthly budget has a line item in it for my Roth, my Roth IRA. And so there's $500 a month. It automatically goes right out the door to my, to my Roth. And for, for those who struggle with handing over the 500 bucks, Vanguard has like an automatic yeah. investment yep. thing where you don't even see it. Yep. There are plenty of places yeah. that can do automatic withdrawals and investments. To help your it. own behaviors. Yep. To help the behavior aspect of it. Yeah. And so I, I don't actually physically buy that every month. I've set it up. And so every month on the third or the fourth, it like it happens and it does. And it's like, just make... And when you're doing a budget, you can budget that, and you know that this is going to happen. That's guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's guaranteed exactly. to go in there. I do the same thing. I have it set up to where it's automatic. But in the beginning of the year, so when the new year turns, all of my like investment money that I would previously put into like the like brokerage fund, mm-hmm. it goes all into the Roth until it's maxed. So. Mm. So you've set it up to max out your Roth first and then move into your brokerage. Yeah, so I have like the guaranteed like I think it's 550. I do 550 because I want December to have an extra like $100 for Christmas, but or whatever that number is. Yeah. Um an extra 3 or $400. Yeah. Um but the extra remaining cuz I usually do 550. Yeah. It, well, yeah, you do 550, but then I also like Right, but you know what I'm trying to say? Am yeah, I saying that so right? So 50 times 11 is 550. Yeah. Which means you would have maxed it in December or yeah. November and you would have had that extra $500 available yeah. to you in November. Yeah. December. But then all the other investment money that I would put in brokerage, I throw it straight into the Roth anyway. So I try to max it out early, is what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't know if that comes off. No, that, that makes sense. There, and, and last year, when we saw, like in 2000, 2020, in March, April, we saw a huge drop in. Um, in the stock market index yeah. fund, which means all of those funds are available to buy at a lower amount. And so at that point, I maxed out my Roth. I yeah. went in and spent thirty, actually, yeah, $4,500 or $4,000 to max out my Roth at that point because I got more stock at a more index funds at a lower cost. Yeah. Do you try to time the market? That's a big thing. I feel uh, like individual stock people. Yeah. I mean, not with mutual funds. I'm going to wait till it goes down. I'm going to buy them. Yeah, I mean, that's more for like day traders mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not, I don't have the time to to devote to that. Um, but like, if I if I see if things are being talked about, like, hey, there's a dip in the market. Obviously. Oh yeah, you take advantage of it. I'll take advantage of that and yeah. max out my Roth. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, that's an interesting point. Now that I think about it, like setting up a reoccurring payment every month. Mm-hmm ensures that you don't try to time the market right because exactly. it's not about at what point you buy it at yeah as long as you're bu- like whether you're buying in the when the market's high and low as long as you're buying consistently yeah it will all balance out over time yeah and you'll see growth yeah so it doesn't even matter mm-hmm. it really doesn't matter when you get in it's yep. a matter of getting in and then staying in for mm-hmm. as long as you can yeah with your master's degree in finance did that help you with your your personal stuff uh, or does it teach you more about like yeah so my, so my my finance my mba in finance is more about like corporate finance and i haven't really used it in my job and so it's one of those things that's like well i did something really <laughs> challenging yeah and i achieved it and that's yeah. really like how i see like a lot of a lot of things for me it was really just like how do i achieve things that are difficult yeah um, and so that was one of those things yes it was probably helpful in the fact that it just made me more aware of like finances and my finance and how i like how i deal with that and so um i think that's it was it was helpful in that way yeah Um, i think it also just opened me up to a lot of things business wise uh, in the business world where i work Mm -hmm. that i'm more comfortable with than i think others yeah because now you can take a look at some some moolah spreadsheets and say hey missing something yeah i think mainly just like one of the greatest takeaways from my MBA is my comfortability with spreadsheets. Yeah. Hey, most people aren't, and I'm not, I'm not comfortable with spreadsheets really. Like I use them all the time, but I'm not like I'm doing basic, like mm-hmm. equal sign this cell plus this cell type stuff. I'm yep. not setting up formulas. Yeah. 
which is a great advantage to you when you're yep exactly making your milestones when i'm building spreadsheets yeah yeah Mm -hmm. for sure so could you say could you say per se like areas where maybe small business owners who aren't super keen on accounting or financing do you know like a good place where they could start uh i would recommend that they find a cpa that yeah. can help them balance their budget yeah. and making sure that their um, incomes and outcomes are yeah. balanced yeah. Um, and that they're not spending too much on things or s- not leveraging their money and their income to grow the business if that's what they desire. Or if they're in their sweet spot to like maximize their personal income yeah. in that sweet spot. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Speaking of CPA. Yeah, CPA or, or um financial advisor i think either of those would be really helpful for definitely small businesses yeah there's a there's a point where there's a point where taxes become too in the weeds yep especially small businesses yeah because what what can be expensed what is the tax deduction like all those things like i'm not a cpa i'm not a tax person so like i do a lot of my i do my own taxes on TurboTax, but it's also pretty pretty straightforward because i have me i have a job one income like yeah there's not a lot of complexity to it um i'm sure over time that will change yeah especially um as my income grows or as i have more assets yeah more assets for sure how does does taxes ever get get in the mix of your investments and things like that or no um no not yet i haven't i mean I'm not old enough to where I think that matters yet. Mm. Um, when I start withdrawing funds, when I've reached that 59 and a half yeah. retirement point, then I think it'll be more important because I will want to make sure that um, I'm going to have to pay taxes on um, on my 401k so that have grown um, untaxed. Yeah. So when I pull that money out, I'm going to have to pay taxes on all of it. Yeah. So... At that point, I will have to, like, work with a CPA on that. Yeah. That or a financial advisor. I think the only times it has ever got involved, taxes have ever gotten involved, was when I switched from ETFs to index funds, and I had to sell them, and I got taxed on the capital gain. Mm-hmm. And I was very bummed because TurboTax asked you, did you get taxed on any <laughs> capital gains? And I had to say yes. Yeah. So that was pretty unfortunate. Yeah. Dang. Do you believe in car payments? It's kind of a random question, but it's coming out. Uh, I mean... Or maybe, like, even subscription models type of services, like Hulu and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I have Disney Plus, so I pay, what, yeah. 13 bucks a month for a service? Like, I'm totally okay with paying uh, for a service and good that I use. Yeah. I think that's normal, and that's part of capitalism and why um, people create things, because if if they didn't they figured out what the market is and what people will, will buy yeah. like they wouldn't make it if they couldn't make a profit and so i'm i'm a big fan of capitalism and a big fan of like people bringing ideas to market yeah it, it makes everyone's life so much more interesting because you get to see cool ideas innovation innovation for sure yeah now back to car payments i I have never had a car payment. I've in your whole my, life? My whole life. I've wow. Bought my cars outright. No way. I've only had three cars. Mm-hmm. Three cars. So I've bought them all outright. Mm-hmm. And so I would not, I don't recommend car payments because then that's one more expense that you're having, having. to pay. And yeah. you're paying interest on that. And if you look at yeah. an amortization table, you're paying more in interest sometimes. Well, most times. Yeah. Especially initially yeah. than the actual principal yeah. to bring that payment down. So. I, I don't like car payments for that reason. Yeah. And if I wanted to buy a car, I'll just buy it outright because I'll just save save money for it. Save money for it and buy it. Like if I if I save five hundred dollars a month for ten months, like there's five thousand dollars. I can buy a pretty good car for five k. Then if I want a bigger, better, nicer car, mm-hmm. I still have that five thousand dollar car. Yeah. For another ten months, I save five hundred dollars, have five thousand dollars in this car. Yeah. Sell this car, and I have roughly ten thousand dollars to buy a new car and i can continue that cycle to move up in car until i'm happy with what i have but i would only recommend doing that if you're out of debt yeah true that makes sense Mm -hmm. yeah i don't car payments are weird to me because it's it's more of a social thing i feel like than it is a money thing Mm -hmm. like uh what do you mean by social like i mean like 
I mean, I I may have the money to buy a three thousand dollar car, mm-hmm. and it will do the job. Mm-hmm. However, I might want to look a little flashier, a little cooler. And you want to own a $20,000 car. I want to own a $20,000 car, and I want to be able to say, what's up, Instagram? Just bought my new car, you know? Yeah. And I feel like that, I, I, do, I do see that a lot, and yeah. that is concerning to me. Yeah. And so you can either have money or you can't. <laughs> that's, that's one way I can put it. Like, yeah. you can either, like, have a three or $4,000 car, and have money, yeah. or you can have a twenty thousand dollars car that you broke. put three thousand dollars down on, yeah. that you're making five hundred dollars monthly payments on every month. Yeah. Instead of having, so that five hundred dollars a month is going to last you five years. Yeah. Okay. That's a lot more than the twenty. Yeah. That you that it's worth. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, I don't even know what to say about. It. And usually, you know, what I think um something that shifted my perspective was um. Like even when I was living in the car, one I think I just <laughs> I just made f- kind of made fun of people that like had nicer cars, because I would pull up next to them and be like, oh they're leasing that, because they probably are. I feel like most people are leasing nice cars. There's probably a very small percentage of people that have extremely luxurious cars that have paid for them outright. Probably I I would I mean. I, I mean, I, I'm throwing out just a, a yeah, blanket statement you don't, here. You don't have but... any facts on this. But no, it's I, just my... <laughs> your perception. And I'm yeah. not... I, I don't know what the facts are, but it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I freaking... I just finished reading that book. Um, next Millionaire Next Door. America's Millionaire Next Door or something. And it talks all about that. And he, like, roasts... Do you have that book with you? Uh, I mean, I don't know where it is. I have Everyday Millionaires. Mm. which is the study on millionaires. But then there's uh, The Millionaire Next Door, which yeah, just shows that's like... Stats. Yeah, I've, I've read that book. And it's just the stats on like what millionaires do. Like, yeah. They buy they buy like F-150s. Yeah. They don't spend more than $50 on a watch. Yeah. They, mm-hmm. they drink like light beer. <laughs> like just some of these things, like they're frugal with their money. Like yeah. I, I have... Their pants, they, they don't spend more than like... Yeah, like they don't they don't spend more than like twenty bucks on a pair of jeans or forty bucks on a pair something like some of these statistics on millionaires is really interesting and it's crazy to think that someone who's that like penny pinching with jeans and watches you would not expect you would not expect because you would you would expect them if they're being this um, frugal with their money they must not have any yeah when in reality is they probably have a lot of money and we just don't recognize it and so. For me, like I read that book ten years ago, yeah, and it's like, okay, what are those habits that I am following through on? Like, yeah, am I how am I how am I spending my money that replicates what millionaires do? Because yeah. ultimately, that's what I want to be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and figuring out like what is a like what is a luxury I'm willing to to pay for? Like, okay, I have an Apple Watch. That's more than a fifty dollar watch. watch, but it's a watch that like I use and like it's a luxury to me and it's something I said, okay, I, I've saved money for this. I've mm-hmm. waited. I've delayed gratification. I bought cash in hand, cash in hand. Exactly. And so I'm not going, uh, and I'm not, and it's not like trying to be flashy about it. It's something yeah. that's like, this is something like, this is a luxury item. And I recognize this watch is a luxury item for me. Yeah. And it helps you keep healthy and fit. It's <laughs> not just the watch. Yeah. And read my text messages from my wrist. Yeah. <laughs> forget the days of taking your phone out of your pocket <laughs> yeah but yeah that that uh i like that book a lot mm-hmm. and i think i like it because it like it, it, it disproves it debunks what you think millionaires are yeah and i think i don't know what perpetuates this culture of if you have money you must spend money mm-hmm. but it is prevalent mm-hmm. and there's guilt and people feel guilt for having money when others don't they so do like yeah 100%. if you are let's say you are making more than what your friends are making. Mm -hmm. You feel guilty about that and Mm -hmm. either don't hang out, don't hang out with them, which is probably short sighted, but also feeling guilty that they don't make as much. And so you spend more money, spend money on them to help them feel, feel better. Or you spend money on yourself to make yourself feel better. Like they're just the feeling aspect that's associated with money, um, can be really negative. Yeah. And so, and, and I don't think, like, character matters. And money doesn't change people's character. It just makes it more of what it already is. 
So if you're, um, if you're charitable and giving with very little, you'll be charitable and giving with a lot. A lot. Yeah. And if you're prideful, arrogant, and angry with very little, you'll be prideful, <laughs> yeah. arrogant, and angry with a lot of money. Yeah. And, and I don't, money doesn't make people better. It just makes them more of what they already are. Yeah. I really resonate with that. I do. I I've never heard that before, but I definitely did. Since I graduated a year early, before my friends, mm-hmm. I made money before them. Granted, it wasn't going to. It was going to loans, whatever. But every time I was with them, I did feel so guilty. Like maybe it's just because like they'd bring it up, or it felt like taboo almost in this weird way. But that's so true. Yeah, money is one of those things that's very like people i think people need to talk about it more openly and honestly yeah um and that's been really it's a subject that people are scared to talk about because they don't want to offend someone and one of the things that i've learned is finding people who i'm who i trust and sharing like here's my financial picture like am Mm -hmm. i making any mistakes or pitfalls and then them being able to speak into my life productively and honestly like i I have um one of my uncles is like he owns his own business and has done done very well in his business yeah and we have very open and frank conversations and he's very like helpful and guiding me and like you're doing a great job and yeah. reassuring the steps I'm taking to yeah. grow my net worth. Or even like the behaviors. Yeah, the exactly. Behaviors taking. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Man, you have a money mentor. I mean, would you ca- classify it as that? Sure. I would classify him as a money mentor. Um, do you think everybody needs a money mentor? Do you, uh, I don't think it's a necessity. I don't think, but I so, do think you probably need like you're saying, I don't know. I don't know if he's a money Yes, he's a money mentor, but he's also my uncle. And so we just have good conversations about it and looking yeah. at, like, good behaviors. We're in similar industries, and yeah. so we just see things, I think, very similarly. Yeah, night eye. And so, and he's also 30 years older than me, so there's this perspective that he has on life that is different, yeah. which is really helpful in my stage, in my process, and helping me make good decisions now. Yeah. So do I think it's helpful to have mentors? Yeah, I do, but I also think it's helpful to be having open and honest conversations. conversations and i think nick your relation yours and my relationship has been really good because i'm able to share like here's what i've done and here's yeah where i'm at with this where i'm at financially yeah how do where are you at like what what are you doing to encourage your growth yeah. and encourage your your things to grow so that way you don't have to be dependent on someone else to take care of you when you're ready to retire yeah we talk money almost every time we get together. yeah we do <laughs> <laughs> i love talking about money yeah me too but I, I will also note that it does, you do have to be with the right, like mm-hmm. trusted people mm-hmm. for sure. And, and making sure like, and you have to make sure what they're saying is legit wise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. I had, um, I'm just trying to think like I've had, and maybe it's just that age, like right out of college and there's like a difference, but I just remember people like hounding me in a weird way about money. Maybe it was because I was doing something different or whatever mm-hmm. it may be, but I just, remember it being like oh but you're balling living in a car it was like such a weird perspective on things mm-hmm. that i felt odd like i felt like i feel like i couldn't like trust them with like yeah i'm getting out of debt and this is how i'm doing it like mm-hmm. i would be like oh yep mm-hmm. <laughs> you know straight like shutdown mode yeah so um definitely resonate with them mm-hmm. having a good community yeah people yeah. alongside you so amen luke i'm gonna say some nice words about you and then we're gonna go into the final question great luke First of all, handsome as can be, great mustache, and also very wise financial wisdom you just shared here today. Thanks. Thankful you came on the show. Huge heart, heart of gold, and I think your your charity is like your your charitableness is shown mm-hmm. with with how you handle your money, which I think is exactly what we what we talked about. So you're, you. you're living proof of that. The final question is, why do you why is managing money important to you? um it's wise managing it's important because it everyone has to deal with it like mm. everyone has finances everyone has things that they need to deal with and so if you can't money manage your money and tell your money what to do it will manage you mm. and i don't want to i don't want money going out the door that i'm not telling it what to do mm-hmm. um and so i think personal finance is important because it's personal That's everyone has everyone is has to buy things everyone has necessities they need if they can't manage their own money like they're not managing anything and their money their money is running away from them um, and they have emergencies all the time and so i think it's important i think personal finance is important for that reason just everyone has to deal with it so might as well be smart with your money yeah 
Yeah, I agree. And everybody has the, the opportunity to be free in their own their mm-hmm. own right. Yeah. Like taking the correct steps. Yep. So I agree. Yep. Luke, thank you for being on the show. Yeah. Where can we find you? Where what 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 would be how can people connect with you? What's what's best for you? Um so I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Okay. Um I don't know what my handles are, but you can probably throw that in the show notes. Yep. Sounds great. Um yeah, those are the places you can find me. I live in San Diego. Surf as often as I can. So you may find me in the water. Fi- yeah, find them in the water. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. a great note. Yeah. All right, Luke. We'll see you later. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye. That was the episode. You just listened to it. Every upload Friday, 6 a.m. Get yourself a cup of coffee. Next week, we got Dr. Kelly Henry. He's a business coach that specializes in customer service. He's proven tactics that can increase profits anywhere from 25 to 95%. The real reason you're still here. What kind of food is nuts about money? Cashews. Get it? Get it? Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Later.